Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. We are together for eight years, and I thought happily married, but all the years with me and many years before, my husband went to prostitutes regularly up to a few times a month and says he never felt bad about doing so since sex cannot be bad. I found out three months ago because of STIs, he is in recovery with a therapist and groups, no sponsor for 10 weeks now with little changes in him. So far, all he did was admit he he is an addict and in abstinence for three months or so he says, I agree with that. No full disclosure yet. I have a great therapist as well. My question is, I have never had to deal with infidelity in my previous relationships. Now, if I choose to stay in this relationship, because unfortunately I still love him and feel attached to him, how should I deal with? And he always knew my most important core value, a deal breaker for me, faithfulness, um, being broken hundreds of times staying, I have to step over my core value. If I will ever learn to cope with knowing what he did and hope he will never betray me again. He says he also doesn't understand why and how I want to stay and try to with him. Although he wants to save our relationship. I don't even think he ever loved me. That's a lot, but there's so many pieces to break down. Well, I just want to mention the part about my most important call, my most important core value, core value, because values change uh, or they can adapt. Or Let me just not say that. Values don't change, but how they're executed can change. For example, one of my deep values is honesty. It it doesn't mean that someone might be dishonest. It just means it's something we're really going to have to talk about and deal with. So... There's a difference, I think, between core values and a bottom line. You know, a core value is a general belief system. I'm not trying to be like philosophical. It's just a core value is, me, a core value is your honesty. You know, you're like that kind of thing. Whereas behavior can be different than a core value, especially in addicts, by the way, because I can have very intact core values, but if I'm chasing some drug, that's all I care about. Or if I'm chasing sex, that's all I care about. But to your point, I mean, I think it's time to re-examine, is this still a core value for me? There is no black or white here. Like, if you think this, you should do that. What is important is, um, is this person working on themselves? Are they really, you know, I, I don't know how you would recognize that they're getting better because hopefully we're just, he's just running to meetings and getting support and sort of in his own head in a whirl. So I don't know that you would know whether he was being honest or not about recovery, but um yeah, there's that thing about my core value. If I learned a coping, um, he will betray you again. There's no doubt about it. Sex addicts, and I know everyone hates it every time I say this, um, sex addicts never get it perfectly the first time. So he may return to porn. He may return to a sex order. There may be slips, just there, there are with food or gambling or gaming. So if your value is honesty rather than um, uh, monogamy, that might be really helpful in a situation like this because what we can move toward, toward is being completely honest with you, letting you know everything that's going on with us if we're struggling or we're not, knowing that we may have consequences. To me, the higher value is, is this person working toward integrity? Are they working toward honesty? Those are values that are much more important to me than if someone goes out and 
you know, does something with some stranger. I mean, I'd prefer they didn't, but um, the much greater value is, are they going toward the values that I believe we should both share? There's another piece about STIs, which I wanted to mention. In case you guys don't know, those are sexually transmitted diseases. Um, and uh, where was that up there? Oh, I found out three months ago because I got an STI. So talk about bottom lines being crossed you know, forget that he had sex with someone else. He violated your body. And he didn't even think, uh, which is very true for my clients, you know, addicts do what they do, but it didn't occur to him that having sex with someone else and then having sex with you might give you a disease. What he's thinking about is I don't want to get caught and I'm certainly not going to tell her, you know, and besides nothing would ever happen because it never has. And he's not thinking about you at all. And now he's in serious trouble. So anyway, Tammy, there's so much here. I didn't actually hear a full question. What are your thoughts? Well, I, and, and she says he's working with a therapist and hopefully it's a therapist that specializes in this because this is very different work. Dr. Rob has shared, you know, behavioral issues require behavioral therapy. So cognitive behavioral therapy, accountability, you know, does he have a three circle plan? Yeah. You know, so he doesn't have a sponsor. That's a little, you know, that's a little, I'd be a little concerned, but if he has filtering on his phone and it's going to its therapist, you know, maybe okay. Not to you, um, but I uh, really agree with what you were talking about with core values. And yes, you, you know, I mean, he was betraying you before you ever said I do, you know, so, so he stood there and said, I will be, you know, whatever the vows are that you chose, but, you know, he lied at that moment, knowing that he had already been unfaithful and he was going to do it again. And that's, that's addiction. So you love a broken person. If you haven't already done so, Dr. Rob wrote a great book. Codependence, moving beyond codependency. This isn't your fault. There's nothing you could do or not do that was going to make him change. But loving someone who is broken doesn't mean that you have to, you know, that there's something wrong with you or that you have to, you know, completely compromise. But you do need to figure out what, you know, what really is your important values and situations and what, you know, what is right for you. Regardless of what other people say, there will be people that go leave the bomb. He's terrible. He's, you know, and then, but you understand that he's this amazing guy, except for this stuff and his dishonesty with you. So, and I'm, yeah, I, the STIs and the betrayal of, of, of finding out, you know, and the discovery of that, you know, that, you know, that is very challenging and you're not alone. Um, the betray partner groups that I was talking about at the beginning this is stuff that we talk about. So please join those. So, okay. Next question is popping up in the, oh, can't, sorry. sorry. My, I got this. Okay. Go oh yeah. Okay. So do you think having an SLAA sponsor is necessary for recovery or do you think doing the 12 steps in your own can be successful? Yeah. I don't uh, think that this is a process that we do all alone. And there's a saying for us in recovery, which is, you know, my own best thinking got me here. So if you could do this alone, then you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in. And, uh, and so, and also I believe that sponsors are not just good for kind of doing this or fixing this. To me, they're, they are role models. Um, they provide support and in an active way while I am struggling with something. It's someone to call. It's someone who will reach out to me. It's someone I can learn from. And hopefully that person who sponsors me, you know, if I'm married in a monogamous relationship and it's going, I mean, if they are married in a monogamous 
I can't say that monogamous relationship and they're doing really well and it's much improved and you're uh, just got, you know, screwed up your monogamous relationship. A sponsor may help guide you into finding peace in their in your relationship, just like they do with theirs. So I think it's about being a role model. I think it's about being a support and a guide. And I don't think that we are particularly good at thinking in, well in this area. I mean, I can, I can really buy a car. I'm really good at that. But deciding whether or not to have sex with a stranger, uh, my mind often gives me the wrong answer. And that's when I need to call someone up and say, someone up and say, you know what? I feel like having sex with a stranger today. What do you think? And usually they'll say, not a great idea. And that's what sponsors are for. Because I can convince myself that that anything is a good idea if I work hard enough. Well, Tell even going I- back to the, yeah, going to, back to buying a car or whatever, you know, like if I'm looking to do something to soothe myself, you know, like checking out with my sponsor might be a really good choice before I go make a major purchase or before I go eat that whole chocolate cake or whatever it is that I want to do that will help numb me out and take me away from that. So, but yeah, I like, I like the you will miss out if you, first of all, you can't just read a book and ma- magically be different. That like, it, even Dr. Rob's great books, like they don't magically, you know, reading Sex Addiction 101, you aren't going to go, oh, now I get it. Now I won't do any of those things again. That's not how it works. We have to learn and, and having people alongside of us, mentoring us, giving us hope that there there is hope to change, you know, is so meaningful because otherwise the shame of like, oh, I can't figure this out. I mean, it just is spiraling. So, so I would invite you to, to embrace what the 12 steps are, which is a community of people like yourself that want to do things differently. That's, it's very freeing to be able to connect with that. And I wanted to add something. If I wanted to learn something, I could read a book, but if I, was in a, if I wanted to learn faster, I'd probably go to a class where I could learn from that person and hear other people interacting and have the right book. And, you know, I think it's kind of like you can work on this by yourself, but I don't think you're going to get the full knowledge of what you need without the engagement of everybody else and having a guide, which is what the sponsor is. Anyway, Tammy, thanks. That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and one more thing on that. I mean, cause it's so easy for us to be in denial and lie to ourselves. So we can go, well, we don't need that part or we can skip that. And so, so to have the accountability, you know of like what step are you on where are you at like it just the accountability and the guide is is valuable so okay next question my partner just returned from SILA and has broken several boundaries is still sober and has gaslighted me about breaking those boundaries is it common for addicts returning from inpatient programs to be worse than when they went yes and no (laughs) I think Everyone comes back from treatment feeling like they're riding on a white cloud and they got this. And oftentimes when people are seeking integrity, they'll talk to you spouses and they'll sound really different. And because they're in the middle of working on it, they've got a lot of support. But going back home from that place, it's very hard to not be, you're kind of like grabbing for something to hold on to because you've been held on to for a while. And if you don't immediately invest deeply in uh, supportive relationships and recovery and sponsorship and going to lots of meetings, maybe therapy a few times a week, like you've got to, addicts have to find something to take the place of residential treatment. We create 
Like we take you to the mountain, but we don't teach you how to live there or how to get there. We just take you there. You have to get on a path and get yourself there. And so like that, we showed your partner, I'm sure, what they need to do, how they need to do it, where they need to do it, what they need to think, how to be aware of getting in trouble and what to do. You know, we, this is what we, and where it comes from and why they're like this. And they don't leave without all that. But what we can't do is motivate them to do the right things when they get home, you know, and so does treatment work? It works for people who take it inside of themselves and then carry it and live it out in the world. But treatment is just like what Tammy said about recovery, like reading a book. If you consider reading a book, you know, getting well, it isn't reading the book. It's the practice of how you live. And if you go to treatment, like you're learning something and it's really great and you have a feel good experience, that's nice. I think you should go to Disneyland. It's cheaper, but but if you don't make it your life, I mean, Tammy said this earlier, but I want to really reinforce be, recovering from addiction is not about stopping. I mean, that's the smallest part. It's about learning a whole different way of living. You know, I learned to live by getting anything I could and convincing anyone of everything I was trying to get, whether it was true or not, and lying as much as I could to get what I wanted all the time. Now, I can stop having sex with strangers, but it doesn't fix all of that stuff. Learning to be out a good human being takes a lot of practice and a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. So um, I can't promise you that someone who goes to treatment is going to get better or going to bring it in their lives the way they need to to go forward and get help. Um, sometimes it means they need more treatment. We have a four-week program. Sometimes we ask people to stay longer than two or three. They can come less, but sometimes we say to them, you know, you really need to stay longer or boy, you're really struggling or you and your spouse, and they don't listen. And that's fine. But some people, you know, bottom line is we're sitting here saying, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And that's because we're like a cancer doctor, you know, do this medication, don't come to the clinic three times or whatever it is. And you'll get better if you do those things and embrace them. And if you don't give a phone call, we'll give you more things to do. But what people do with what they learn, they go home is up to them. And, uh, and then there are folks, Tammy, right, who just go to treatment because they want you to feel better and they want to excuse themselves to you and they want to be able to come home and say, no, I really worked in hard treatment and I went to just to make you happy, whatever they say. And, uh, but they never really got what they came for. I don't know, Tammy, I didn't mention when we don't do a good enough job or when we let them down. I mean, I just wonder, because it doesn't really occur to me. I think we can do a lot with people who are motivated and we can't do a lot with people who aren't. Um, but what are, you, what are your thoughts about all this? Well, my thought was, is your partner watching this too? Is your partner sitting there you know, on, on this? What is your partner doing? You guys, as long as releases were signed, because that doesn't always happen, but as long as releases are signed, then there's um, a meeting with the two of you so that you understand what the recommended aftercare plan is. Is your partner following that? Our clinical director says, tell the truth and tell it faster. That isn't just about the acting out. It's about everything. And so like those things are all reinforced, but Dr. Rob is right. Some people, you know, some people refuse. We unfortunately have some people that don't graduate. They, they just, they don't complete successfully treatment. So we're not going to rubber stamp and go, oh yeah, you did a good job. 
when they didn't. So they're given the tools, but like everything else, if the tool is laying there on the floor, it's not going to, you know, nothing's going to happen with it. So, um, but, but I'm going to say the flip side of it. I can't tell you how many partners and spouses that I have reached out to one a while back had said, I know it's early. I know it's, I know it's really early. Like he had just gotten out within the last couple of weeks, but she said, I see he's trying. I see he's different. It's awkward. I, I said, I believe it. This is all different for him. But she said, I, I you know, it, it gives me hope. I don't trust it completely. I said, you shouldn't, but she could see that, that he had made progress. I just did a, a um, an email with a bunch of the alumni. The stories I got back from a bunch of them, I like I was almost weeping. It was just like so powerful to see how people's lives can change if they want it, you know, it's it, it, recovery is, you know, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, that's what recovery is. And, you know, there's also a phrase in the big book, half measures availed us nothing. And so it's one of those where somebody that comes in and does, pardon my language, half-assed in treatment, you know, is, you know, you get, you get what you put into it. So, um, so I'm sorry for thing. you, but yeah, go ahead. Tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. our time. I think that's right. No, 10 a.m. 10 At 10, 10, 10 a.m. our time. Pacific time. I am running yeah, tomorrow at 10 a.m. our time, Pacific time. I am running the alumni group. And if you want to come to alumni group, I don't know who you are, but I will discuss this with you. And we can have a conversation about what's working and what isn't, which will be helpful. We get sometimes 35 or 40 people who've been through treatment and they're sitting there with me or one of the other therapists asking for help. You know, I just got home three weeks ago and I'm not sure what to do about this. Or, you know, I've been home for months and my spouse and I just got into that. Or that's what this is for. That's why, you know, we volunteer our time to support you guys because you have been through and you have come to us for help and we don't take that lightly and we do continue to be supportive to you so there are alumni groups there's this group there's uh, a million ways that this person could tie back into us all the stuff that's online one of the reasons we run our programs the way we do is so people can get help in the beginning with podcasts and support groups they can get help in treatment if they're coming to us or somewhere else and they can get help after treatment with us because we don't leave people once they're gone so i'd be really curious has he been going to alumni groups has he been checking in with people he went through treatment with because people who do that together often get each other's phone numbers and emails and checked in with each other aside from our alumni groups. Um, we are here to help. If this person wanted to say, hey, this isn't working out for me. I went to Seeking Integrity. I'm really struggling. Maybe I didn't understand this or that. What can I do? We are here. He knows the name of his primary therapist. He can write Tammy and say, hey, can I talk to Mary for 15 minutes? We'll make that happen. So just the fact that I or Tammy have not heard from this person tells me that there's a lot more that he could be doing um, other than spouting, uh, I got three months and you know, I hope it's okay with you or whatever you say. Anyway, um, that was a lot, Tammy, but I feel very proud of all that work, you know? So I, I, uh, there is no more, I, t I, I am part of Seeking Integrity. I don't say things that I don't believe to be true. There is no more expert clinical team to work with clients. You know, we, we have a small group of clients, you, Dr. David, and three master's level professionals working with no more than eight guys at a time. Like, like where else are you going to get that? And with your level of expertise. So anybody, no, I say this. So no. anybody, yeah, anybody who is wanting help, it, it, you know, we, you know, 
I always want everybody to have the best chance at help. So just to, so you know, if you are throwing things in the chat, we aren't going to get to it. We've got 14 questions unanswered in mm -hmm. the, so we got to get going. But so questions in the chat. I've been married for 33 years. A few years ago, I became addicted to porn and replaced sex with my wife with porn. I also told her that since her breast reduction, I am not as attracted to her. Now that we are trying to reconcile and try to have sex life again, I can't maintain an erection during sex. There is also no sexual chemistry between us. Now that I am not looking at porn, is this um, reciting problem uh, related to the excess porn use and how can she get past the things said to her um, to have chemistry? Well, that's a lot. Um, yes. I have my typical standard line about this, and I'd like to use this because I think it works. And then, Tammy, if you want to fill in, I'd appreciate it. Um, a long time ago, a friend of mine, first of all, almost all sex addicts, when they stop their behavior, uh, struggle with intimate sexuality. You know, if we didn't have sexual problems, we would be here. <laughs> and, uh, and we act out, which spouses will say, how could you love me if you acted out? It's almost not a sexual act for us. It's really about disappearing to some fantasy of something. It is sexual because it's pleasurable, but it doesn't really connect emotionally for us. Um, the challenge is when we get to turning to the people who love and care about us, um, sex is scary, sex is challenging, sex is avoid, something we tend to avoid. And that has nothing to do with you really either. It has to do with our own fears and anxieties. Um, I think this is a really good way of looking at it for addicts in particular. And I hope your spouse is listening. Um, or if not, I think we have these recorded somewhere. Tell me, probably tell us where. Um, but in any case, as an addict, I uh, became interested in sex when I saw hot, exciting, intense experiences in front of me. As an addict, what turned me on was anonymous sex, sex with strangers, looking at porn, strip clubs. That is what turned me on. And you have to understand when you're moving into being excited by some kind of intense experience like that, uh, addicts are getting aroused by what they're seeing, what they're into, what they're doing, what the next picture is going to look like, or who is in that other room. I mean, we're excited by being in it and really in the moment of looking and touching. And um, that's a very different kind of excitement than lying with someone that you've been with for 33 years. Um, first of all, you've seen that butt before. You've seen those arms before. And we love our partners, but, you know, they're they're never going to stimulate us in the way that those images do, but you, or those experiences, but you know what? They're not meant to. Because if you're, you're in healthy recovery, sex with your partner comes from a completely different emotional space. I don't know how to say that without being woo-woo. It just comes from different neurochemistry, different internal experience, things that we're not used to, safety, trust, connection, things, you know, when you're a sex addict, that's not what you're looking for for sex. You're looking for this spot or that body or that situation. So a colleague of mine used this phrase that I've never forgotten. He said, sex addicts in recovery need to move towards sex from, with their partners and people they love from a place of willingness and not a place of horniness. As a sex addict, I'm looking to get really excited about whatever I'm into and jump into that with my heart pounding. And But as a partner, maybe I hold your hand and then we get some oil and we massage each other. And then we take a bath and I wash your hair and then, oh, I get aroused. I didn't know that was going to happen. And then we have sex and it's a wonderful thing. But I don't do well going to my partner and trying to get intensely aroused 
buy them in the way that I would a sex worker or porn. It's a whole different thing. And I think sexuality and partners has to be built through small connections, hand holding, kissing, uh, massaging, hold, and, and that leads to arousal. Um, when we're acting out, the intensity of what we're doing leads to immediate arousal. And maybe that's another thing about not getting erections. You're not going to get erections in the immediate intense way that you did looking at porn or being with strangers. It's going to come if it, sorry, it's going to happen if it happens out of what you're doing with that person. And it may not happen the first thing you, moment you lie together, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Um, so all of that being said, I'm tossing it you to Tammy, tossing it to you. Uh, yeah, and I'm uh, like, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, somebody, my husband and I have been married uh, approximately that time. And if he came to me and told me he was not attracted to me because I had a breast reduction, I would be so devastated. So, so I can only imagine how traumatic those words were for your wife. I hope she has gotten support and help for her to know that it isn't a body shaming thing that, you know, she, she's, it sounds like she was taking care of herself for whatever reason she needed to do so. And um, uh, uh, that your sex addiction, your porn is not about her or her body, but it's really hard, especially as we age to, um, to feel good about ourselves, especially when somebody's being quite blatant about, you know, that. Right. So, so what Dr. Rob said, um, uh, if she's willing, I, I guess that would be the first place to start is if she's even willing to step into the, that space and, and trust that you can be a safe, you know, person for her. Um, but, you know, we talk about sensate focused, um, you know, where it's non-sexual touch and things and starting from a, you know, dating perspective, like, can you go for a walk in the park together? Can mm -hmm. you, can you start with safe things that have no goal of sex, you know, um, because I think that there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of damage to the relationship that has nothing to do with, with sex too. So that was my thought. And this, you know, Tammy, you're, you're absolutely right because this text is rife with the word sex. Um, addicted to porn, replaced sex, porn, breast reduction, not attracted, trying to have a sex life, can't maintain erections, no sexual chemistry, not looking at porn, porn. I'm pulling out the sex words and mm -hmm. I'm thinking that this person is focused on the wrong thing. Like what they need to focus on is building an intimate relationship with their partner. And you know what? If you marry three years, you don't have to have sex today or tomorrow or next week. I know this. I know this. I'm older too. Um, and, if, and, you know, sex addicts are driven by sex. What if you, for me, it'd be interesting if all, if your note was all about, I'd like to get closer to her. I'd like us to know each other again. I'd like to see what we still have fun with together. And, you know, and I'm looking forward to some physical intimate time with her holding and kissing, whether or not that leads to sex. You know, Tammy, this reminds me of when we do, um, when we look at what sexual sobriety is for sex addicts and, you know, they they start saying, well, I can't, what am I going to do? I'm not going to have any sex. Or I'm not going to have the sex that I used to have. And I think, well, life's about, you know, I would, I don't know about you, but my marriage, I think about eight, five to eight to 10%, maybe if that 5% is about sex and 95% is about everything else, which leads to sex, by the way. So uh, to me, this reads like a, a fairly active or recently recovering sex addict who's still looking for, for their solutions in having great sex and being intensely excited. Only now they want to move that solution onto their spouse. 
And you know, to me, it's a little bit like masturbating into someone. It's not like you really want to have a relationship with her. You want her breath and her body to be the way you would want it to be. So you would get turned on. There's a little too much you in all of that. Um, so I'm going to recommend the sex. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The porn addiction 101 level one that starts September 18th. You'll find that on Seeking Integrity under online workshops and lectures and that is a six-week course, 90 minutes each. And I think you would you would understand what your relapse prevention plan is, how to stop. I mean, like I think you'd have a lot of information and insights that would be very useful to possibly being able to build a relationship. I will give a little teaser too. Um, this is also one of the out of the doghouse. Um, uh, we, we're gonna have a work group for that. It will be announced um, at some point. Um, uh, but we're working on a work group for out of the doghouse. So stay tuned, but that comes to mind for you as well. So I'm glad you're here, please. No, I'm glad you're here. That was, I'm glad you're asking questions. Okay. Next uh, question. Go ahead. One more thing, Tammy. I mean, I, I, I think you're one of the best uh, people at talking about events and I mean, you're such a great events person, but I want to say in a larger way, what we're trying to do, which is that not everyone can afford to go to treatment. Not everyone can afford or has the ability to go to therapy every week, 50 weeks a year. So part of what, and many people go to therapy and don't get the educational or activity-based pieces that they need to do, the active pieces in recovery. So the reason that we're running these courses for porn addicts, for sex addicts, for couples, is to be able to allow you guys to get the stuff you need that you may not get in your world. And there are a lot of clients who say, well, I'm in therapy, and then I took this course, and I learned all the stuff I needed to know to support the therapy. So, you know, when we go to sell or talk about these things, again, it's because we really know what does help people. And getting all of that intellectual information, plus having your spouse say, oh, you're in that Thursday night course, can be really helpful, too. So anyway, Tammy, I'm just reinforcing what you say. It's not just to you know, sell something at all. It's because no, and, really... and it isn't. I, I really see these as resources. And if I have the best resources and never tell anybody about them, they're, they're, they're not doing you any good. So you can sign up for them or not. I mean, it really is. I'm just telling you there are options and there's, there's more than you can imagine. Um, and, and coming to this as doctor, as great as Dr. Rob is, this isn't enough. Going to see a therapist, even the best qualified therapist isn't enough. It's like all this stuff. So, so how do you put together what's going to be useful for you that's going to help support you in recovery and help you build relationships in a healthy way? Not like the person that, you know, mentioned earlier that, you know, he's still gaslighting me. Well, that doesn't help. So, so more, more is good. And all of the alumni can join those um, work groups too. We've had a number of them that, who have done that. And it, like you, you, it's not like, oh, I've, you know, I've already done that. No. Do you know how many first step meetings I've been in over the decades? Doesn't matter. It's still good information for me. We can never overhear this stuff. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.